Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.56 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 23rd of November, 2021, and this is episode 506 of Bitcoin. And again, my apologies for being really spotty on getting your shows out. It's been one hell of the last few weeks, man. Uh, I gotta, I gotta say, dude, there, there are some things that'll push a man to, to their limits. And, uh, this is, this is one of them. This is one of them. Um, as you know, um, my uncle died which, you know, in and of itself is, hey, you know, you're going to lose loved ones. It's going to happen. You know, as the older you get, the more people that die. And you just hope that you're not one of them, which sounds really, you know, dark and, and bad. But that's, that's the truth. That's the truth of the matter. But what, you know, what <clears throat> really killed me about this one is that, you know, my Uncle Rance was the last of four brothers. My dad being one of those brothers. And he was the last, he was the last one in my father's nuclear family, if you can call it that. You know, it was grandma, grandpa. Uh, I never got to meet my grandfather because he died, he died fairly young. And uh, my grandmother died in, oh God, like a month after my dad did in 2005. <clears throat> and before that, when I was a kid, I lost uh, two of my uncles. Uh, one when I was like six and the other one when I was like, I don't know, 10 or something like that. And Uncle Wayne was my favorite uncle, uh, taught me how to chop down trees, how to build a fire, more importantly, how to put out a fire and also how to, how to take soil samples. So I guess my love for nature sort of came from, you know, from my Uncle Wayne. Um, he was a, he was a forest ranger for, for many years down in the Farmington Farmington, New Mexico area. And in either event, Rance was the last one. <clears throat> he was the last of the four brothers. And when he died, my last link to my father kind of died with him. I mean, it's, it depends on how you look at it, I suppose. But that was it. That was it. And, you know, went to the funeral in Oklahoma City and uh, it was, it was interesting. And the reason is, is because for a long time on this show, I've been telling you guys about how we've been lied to with the whole, the whole fabricated narrative of you have to move away from your family. You have to, that's the only way you're ever going to get a job. You can't stay anywhere close to your family. And I'm not saying, you know, let the kids live in the basement or even in your own house when they need to get the hell out. They need to go live their own lives. But when you're living them halfway across the country, or in some cases halfway across the world, you can pretty much kiss 
having your family together to wit, right? My uncle, <clears throat> my uncle's family, he has, he has uh, three children. <clears throat> he has uh, the oldest girl and then two boys that were born after. And uh, two of them have families of their own. They've had children, they, they're married and they have children. But all of them live within 25 miles of each other. Uh, they, you can put a pin in the center of Oklahoma City, drag a string, a string out to 25 miles and just run a circle around it. And all of those people live there and have lived there, except for one of them moved to Houston for a couple of months. And God, God forbid, I, I, don't, I don't envy him that, that rat hole, but he moved back. And so I was having a discussion with my cousin and I said, look, you know, I, I, it's really sad that your father died and we're here for the funeral, but I got to tell you, it's like, I will go to my grave trying to instill the importance of staying in a region so that your family can act as your support network into my children, probably until the day that I die. And all I can hope is that I have just a modicum of, of the success that your father had to do that. And I don't know if France was just in there, his kid's ear about, hey, you've really got to, you know, you, you got to stay around the area. I don't know. I don't know. Because there, there was a long time that, that my uncle and I didn't, we, we, we weren't talking because I was just so full of my own bullshit that I was not taking advantage of the situation that I should have been taking advantage of, making myself available to be close to family. And one day he was just gone. He was just gone. But his family, I mean, it's, he's got a big family and they're all together. So I reiterate, do everything that you can to not buy into the bullshit that you have to move away from your family. I mean, it, it, look, if you've got problems with your family, I get it. I mean, if you're like, if, if you're in a really sticky situation, and things are not good because that shit does happen, then yeah, I get you. But if you have a good relationship with your family, think real hard as to why do you have to move? What are you moving for? Is it only for a fiat job? Is there any way around it? Is there anything else that you can do? Because if, by God, if there is, don't move. Don't move. I mean, and, and again, if this is something that you want to do, I, I get that too. But I cannot emphasize enough the importance of having a giant support network around you. And what I see with my uncle's family <clears throat> really hits home when I, when I was looking at that up close and personal because I was like, holy shit, all these people are here and they're all together and they're all able to support each other through these times. And they're, you know, my aunt is not going to be alone because all the kids are there and her grandkids are there. And it's an amazing, it's amazing to watch. And we've lost so much of that. And that's how you tear the fabric of a country apart is you completely and totally Always tell the children of the generation, you have to move away from your family because if you don't, you won't get jobs. You have to go where the jobs are. 
by, by, or whatever, whatever that fucking narrative is. It's a lie. Now, now that I just wanted to make sure that you guys knew that, that I was up close and personal to exactly what it is that I've been talking about. And it is everything that I said it was. Okay, so with that said, <clears throat> let's get into some El Salvador. El Salvador to issue Bitcoin bond on the liquid Bitcoin sidechain. Anamcio is going to tell us all about it. El Salvador will issue $1 billion in bonds on Blockstream's liquid network, a federated Bitcoin sidechain, according to a statement sent to Bitcoin magazine. The proceedings of the bond will be split between $500 million direct allocation in Bitcoin and an investment of the same amount in building out energy and Bitcoin mining infrastructure in the region. The move seeks to attract capital and investors to the Central American country. Quote, El Salvador also aims to create a government securities law and grant a license to Bitfinex Securities to process and list the bond issuance. This could pave the way for other liquid security tokens like the Blockstream Mining Note <clears throat> or Exordium, the EXO token, to be listed on a regulated El Salvadoran securities exchange uh, per the statement. Samson Moe, Blockstream CSO, architected the Bitcoin bond, and the vice president of financial products, Jesse Nutson, designed it in collaboration with the Salvadoran government. The arrangement will pay 6.5% yield. <clears throat> Why? Well, hold on. 6.5% yield and enable fast-track citizenship for investors. Quote, this is a historic milestone and only the beginning of our search to achieve global inclusivity for finance the same way that Bitcoin has created global inclusivity for money, said Mo. This is the new dawn of digital capital markets. The government will share half the additional gains with investors as a Bitcoin dividend once the original $500 million has been monetized. According to the statement, these dividends will be dispersed annually using Blockstream's asset management platform. Quote, we are excited to work with Blockstream and build the foundation of the financial infrastructure for the future of the liquid network, said President Naib Bukele. This is a powerful first step for El Salvador in becoming a global hub for digital capital markets. Our long-term commitment is to explore and develop a domestic platform to help facilitate the growth of our digital asset industry, end quote. <clears throat> a sidechain, so we're going to get into what Liquid is here. A sidechain is an independent blockchain that runs parallel to another blockchain, allowing for tokens from the blockchain to be used securely in the sidechain while abiding by a different set of rules, performance requirements, and security mechanisms. Liquid is a sidechain of Bitcoin that allows Bitcoin to flow between the Liquid and Bitcoin networks with a two-way peg. A representation of Bitcoin used in the Liquid network is referred to as LBTC. It's a verifiably equivalent amount of BTC is managed and secured by the network's members called functionaries. The use of functionaries can be interpreted as requiring tr trust in third parties, so y'all be aware. Additionally, this restricted group of functionaries also functions as block signers. The network's federated structure includes participant members and full nodes. Participants can peg out or move funds from Liquid to Bitcoin and vote on board elections and network updates. Full nodes can ensure functionaries correct behavior by verifying transactions and peg-ins. However, the only functionaries have the power to secure the network. 
Besides allowing the issuance of asset, Liquid also provides confidential transactions and a more rapid transfer of funds. <clears throat> but because only a predetermined subset of members can help secure the Liquid network, the federated sidechain is quite different from Bitcoin and its main software client, Bitcoin Core. With Bitcoin Core, any node is allowed and welcome to help secure the network by becoming a mining node. Therefore, additional security and trust trade-offs exist for using LBTC versus actual BTC. All right, so there's a little bit about the Liquid Network, but clearly the most important part about this piece is the fact that we're gonna, they're going to be doing bonds on the Liquid Network. And this little exchange from, a, 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 from the statement saying that this could pave the way for other liquid security tokens like the Blockstream Mining Note or Exordium token to be listed on a regulated El Salvadoran Securities Exchange. The EXO token, well, Exordium is the publishing house for uh, Samson Moe's upcoming game, Infinite Fleet. <clears throat> and they raised money on a couple of sales of EXO uh, basically to fund Exordium, which in turn is going to end up funding part of the development of the game Infinite Fleet. But the deal with the EXO token is it's kind of like a stock and it will, or is supposed to, according to Samson Mo, pay security or, or pay dividends to the token holders uh, at such time that dividends are allowed to be released. Or, well, I guess what that really kind of means is if they start making money, and they are, they are in profit, then those profits will be split between the EXO token holders. But the whole point is, is that EXO was, uh, was, is on the liquid, is a, it's a liquid asset running on the liquid sidechain. So right now, there's not a whole lot of usage of the liquid network, but that could change because, I mean, if we're talking, the whole deal with El Salvador is getting, in some people's opinions, getting cringe. In other people's opinions, um, just gonna send Bitcoin to the moon. And as usual, I find myself floating somewhere in between. <clears throat> I think it's kind of good, but we will have to see how it shakes out, exactly what happens, because right now there's just not that much information. I mean, about the about details, right? I mean, we can talk about 6.5% yields and where the money's gonna go, but uh, I'd like to actually see a lot more information on that. Now, El Salvador again in the news, this one is Brian Neuer writing for Cointelegraph. Um, there's been an issue with the bond, uh, the bonds after they were announced. Let's, let's just get into this thing. El Salvador's dollar debt dives on Bitcoin bond plans. El Salvador's dollar-denominated bonds have fallen to an all-time low as the Central American nation's debt started trading in, quote, distressed territory this week. El Salvador's United States dollar bonds fell to 64 cents on Monday, November the 22nd, following the weekend news that the Central American country would use Bitcoin bonds to fund its Bitcoin City initiative. Dollar bonds have fallen steadily since April 2021 when they topped $1.10, according to Bloomberg data. A dollar-denominated bond is a bond issued outside of the United States by a foreign company or government that is denominated in USD instead of local currencies. Monday's drop resulted in the country's debt becoming among the worst performers in global trading, Bloomberg reported. 
Investors are concerned that President Nayib Bukele has shut out the International Monetary Fund, or IMF, from assisting the nation with development funds. Nathalie Moshrick, managing director of investment banking company Stifle Nicholas, com commented that this announcement cements the anything but the IMF path. <laughs> before adding that bonds are falling as the market reassesses possible recovery value lower on the unpredictability of policies, end quote. The Bitcoin bond will pay 6.5% annual interest in addition to 50% of El Salvador's Bitcoin gains once its initial investment costs for its mining infrastructure have been recovered. Dividends will be paid in USD or Tether, <clears throat> according to Samson Moe, Chief Strategy Officer at Blockstream. Moe believes that the Bitcoin bond will be an alternative way for institutional investors to gain exposure to Bitcoin without having to hold Bitcoin themselves. It will also be a way for investors to help El Salvador develop more rapidly. Mo, who has been working with the El Salvador government on developing the Bitcoin bond, told Bloomberg on Tuesday, quote, we're trying to structure this in a way that people can present the Bitcoin bond to boards and directors as a normal bond because it is a normal bond. It just happens to have a large chunk of Bitcoin tied into it, end quote. In response to Moe's interview with Bloomberg, podcaster and popular Bitcoin advocate Anthony Pompliano predicted that they will be ridiculously oversubscribed. El Salvador has been in talks with the IMF <clears throat> for much of 2021 over a possible $1.3 billion loan. Those talks could be fading into obscurity as President Bukele has decided to fund more local initiatives such as school building with Bitcoin over the United States dollar. The IMF issued a concluding statement regarding El Salvador's funding request on Monday. Although El Salvador's economy has rebounded quickly from the pandemic, fiscal deficits and high public debt services are creating bigger holes in the services the country can provide, it stated. The report added that efforts to improve financial inclusion and raise growth are welcome, but risks arising from Bitcoin as a legal tender, the new payments ecosystem, and trading in Bitcoin should be addressed, end quote. Quote, because of those risks, Bitcoin should not be used as legal tender. Oh, poor IMF. You're going to cry like a little baby. Oh, wham. <laughs> Staff recommends narrowing the scope of the Bitcoin law and urges strengthening the regulation and supervision, supervision of the new payment system. So surprise, surprise, the IMF is not happy about El Salvador's decision to go in a non-IMF uh, path. And this is why I lean more towards the good than the bad. But it depends on our time preference, doesn't it? In the short term, this could possibly suck. But in the long term, to very long term, every country needs to get out from under the thumb of the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, and the International Monetary Fund as soon as possible. And if they got to go through hell to do it, that may be exactly what Bukele is betting on. That, yeah, it's going to suck. It's going to suck for the people. And he's probably going to get replaced as president the next time that he's up for elections. I don't know. I don't like, no, I have no idea what the hell is going to happen and neither does anybody else. However, one thing that is one, one thing for me, that's a clue that, that Bukele's headed in the right direction is that the IMF is very mad. They're very, very mad at him. And I hope that he says no to that particular uh, $1.3 billion IMF loan because that's just going to 
that's just going to put them into even further indentured servitude towards those who we think suck. <clears throat> Swan Bitcoin raises $6 million, though. It aims to list on NASDAQ by 2024. Congratulations, Swan Bitcoin. Good job. Bitcoin Magazine's Nomsios has more. Bitcoin buying app <clears throat> Swan has raised $6 million in a Series A funding round co-led by Mimesis Capital and 1031 on a $90 million pre-money valuation, the company said in a statement on Monday. Swan, which to date has raised $8.5 million in total, also added investment strategist Lynn Alden to its board of directors. <clears throat> Quote, our commitment to Bitcoin gives us a huge advantage in the marketplace, said Corey Clipston, Swan's CEO. Quote, our investors see the Swan difference, our depth of knowledge about Bitcoin and the premium services we offer to all customers. The future of Bitcoin is bright and Swan is extremely well positioned for continued growth. End quote. Zoogler Fund, Plan B Ventures, Lightning Ventures, and HCM Capital also participated in the round. Angels, angels include Blockstream CEO Austin Hill, Dan Mutusweski of CSM Holdings, and professional athletes Baron Davis, CJ Wilson, and Matthew Delavidora. Swan seeks to reduce friction in the Bitcoin purchasing process by enabling automatic recurring and instant buys for U.S. and international investors. According to the statement, the company is exploring plans for growth equity funding in the near future and aims to be listed on the NASDAQ by 2024. Swan will invest the round's proceeds into marketing and new product development strategies. Quote, major initiatives include the Swan app launch, international expansion of private client services, the launch of advisor services, which is led by wealth manager and why buy Bitcoin author Andy Erdstrom, and continued development of Bitcoin community projects like Bitcoinerjobs.co and the upcoming Bitcoin events per the statement. So again, congratulations to Corey Clipston and the team out there at Swan Bitcoin. Uh, nice job on nice job on the Series A, y'all. <clears throat> nice job on the Series A. Now, Texan Bitcoin mining power demands could jump five times by 2023. Thankfully, this is Cointelegraph, but not our friend that will, you know, turn this into a, oh my God, we're all going to boil the oceans guy that always writes this shit. No, no, this is, this guy's different. So let's see if he's got a better or worse take than the other dude. As the state of Texas faces a rapid influx of Bitcoin mining operations, its electrical infrastructure will have to support the industry's expected 5,000 megawatts of additional power demands by 2023. The Bitcoin mining industry in Texas currently consumes around 500 to 1,000 megawatts of power. The Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, anticipates that demand could increase as much as five-fold by 2023 and has planned an additional 3,000 to 5,000 megawatts, according to reports. This expansion comes as the Lone Star State plans to become the home of to 20% of the world's Bitcoin mining operations. Texas emerged as the go-to destination for Bitcoin miners ever since the Chinese government officially shot themselves in the head and banned Bitcoin mining earlier this year. The state government has capitalized on China's clampdown by making Texas a haven for crypto miners who can now enjoy a 10-year tax abatement, sales tax credits, and state-sponsored workforce training. Some Texas residents, however, are concerned well, that the existing power grid cannot be improved. 
ERCOT's management of the state's electrical grid came under heavy scrutiny in February 2021 when blackouts signaled the region, or rather, when blackouts plagued the region during an extreme cold snap that left about 5 million residents without power for days. A report issued by ERCOT on Friday has failed to inspire confidence that the grid problems have been fixed. Texas Observer reported Amal, um, uh, Texas Observer reporter Amal Ahmed tweeted on Monday, quote, the new seasonal assessment report, basically a forecast from ERCOT, seems to indicate that, unsurprisingly, the agency has not changed its approach at all to really prepare for extremes, end quote. Some miners have attempted to allay residents' fears about the potential drain on resources. The Texas Standard reported on October the 21st that some Bitcoin miners have been working with local power providers to ensure the stability of the grid. Meanwhile, several others intend to operate using fully renewable and potential alternative sources of energy, such as natural gas flares, as BTC mining operations become increasingly greener. Yeah, you forgot to say, and more decentralized. There are currently no proposals from the Texas state government to deal with the potential issues that may arise from the increase in electrical demand from crypto miners. As suggested by the Texas standard, miners could be flexible in shutting off their hardware during periods of peak demand or be charged a premium per kilowatt hour if they want to stay on during peak demand periods. Okay, so ERCOT, guys, ERCOT, not, not the best run outfit in the world. And honestly, I, I, I believe that that's because we got, you know, I believe that there's outside help, most likely from California, uh, in managing that grid. Uh, I am not on the ERCOT grid, even though I am in Texas. Almost the entire panhandle of Texas ending, I want to say, about halfway between Amarillo and Lubbock. That, the northern part of that uh, is is on a different grid, which is why we didn't have an, I I had zero problems with power except for one day. One day we had a power outage. And I think that was actually more due to, to, you know, ice than it was, you know, power consumption because it was back up and running real quick. I, should we be concerned? Well, fuck, I don't know. All I do know is that Texas is emerging as the go-to destination for a lot of stuff. It ain't just Bitcoin mining. And in the 2000s, it wasn't just uh, internet stuff that was uh, flowing into Austin. Like you had pets.com, you had flowers.com, you had all these dot-coms, and then you had the dot-com boom, or rather bust in 2000, 2001. Texas has always been this way, guys. We're always attracting industries, especially new ones. And this one, the mining industry, because it is so power heavy, this is a great place to go. However, I, you know, I really recommend that it should be decentralized first and certainly should be located out in the sticks where there are, you know, gas wells that are plugged in or, you know, uh, they, you know, if you work over a couple of wells, get the gas flowing again, set the miners out there before plugging into the grid. That would be my advice, which that would seem to be the only way that you'd really truthfully allay the fears of Texas residents, because they don't want to see that shit again. A lot of people died during that, that cold snap. And it was really, it was, it was really, really bad. I was like, you know, one of my Bitcoin friends showed a picture of his pool and his pool was destroyed. 
And it was an in-ground pool. It wasn't like an above-ground pool that froze solid. No, 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 no. He even threw in chunks of like firewood in, into the water, which is what you're supposed to do to allow for the uh, expansion of the ice. It'll like it will compress the wood before it cracks the concrete. And he had like 15, 16 logs of wood in there, and even that shit didn't even help. He lost the whole pool, and I don't know if he's gonna have to if he's gonna rebuild it, but that pool is is dead, right? And a lot of people lost their lives in that thing. So really, if you are a miner and you're listening to this for whatever reason, please, please, please start with getting the natural gas flowing to generators that then that electricity flows into mining rigs that are on station out in the middle of the sticks. Try to do that first because it also helps with decentralization. But alas, we're running out of time. We got, uh, we got this one to go into, speaking of natural gas. A guy named Ricardo Carmona, technical director at Nat Gas and a self-proclaimed Bitcoin entrepreneur, has apparently published something to LinkedIn, which I hardly ever read anything off of LinkedIn, but this one caught my attention. In Mexico, massive natural gas contracts surplus can be fixed with Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin is capable of moving energy over time because when we have value in the form of Bitcoin, we can postpone its use in exchange for other goods and services. And for example, we can save some of the energy that was carried by an electron to the door of my house to mine Bitcoin on an ASIC Antminer S9 mining equipment uh, <clears throat> to acquire a service or a good in a month or so, if, if I so choose. It is also capable of moving the value of energy captured in space, since if I want to use the value to acquire a good or service in Venezuela instead of Mexico, I can also do it through the Bitcoin network almost without any friction at all. This concept is something that is hugely innovative, but specifically in the Bitcoin mining part. Since any of you who read this article can acqu already acquire one of these virtuous devices that convert energy into Bitcoin called miners. All this introduction to tell you about some numbers that I've been able to check regarding the already known mess in which the Federal Electricity Commission finds itself, and that is it contracted natural gas transmission capacity that exceeds its needs by more than 35%. In other words, it contracted 8,000 a million cubic feet per day and only occupies 4,600 million cubic feet per day. For CFE officials, it is an imperative to find another way to alleviate the surplus since even if six additional generation plants are put into operation, it will not be enough to consume this amount of natural gas. Electrical systems around the world are designed with overcapacities in mind because every electron we consume has to be generated by a thermoelectric or hydroelectric plant at this moment, our systems tend to be normally oversized. Doing a quick review, we can see that the capacity of Mexico's electrical system is about to generate 78,447 megawatts of electrical power, and that was in 2019. While our annual demand for the same year was around 306,000 gigawatt hours per year, which is similar to saying that we had the capacity to pr produce 2.2 times more energy than we actually required. This means that in reality, our problem is that we have acquired much more gas than we need as a nation and that beyond having new generation plants, we need large consumers. 
or perhaps some way to transform the energy that was acquired in the form of natural gas into resources that be, can be used at some other time. Enter Bitcoin mining in the Mexican grid. <clears throat> so, if we already know that the technology for Bitcoin mining exists and has been put to the test in gas well heads in thermoelectric plants such as the iconic case of Green Ridge Generation in New York and even in geothermal plants in El Salvador recently popularized by its or popularized by its president what do we hope to bring the problem facing Mexico to solution based or bitcoin mining much has been said about how Bitcoin is capable of providing that consumer of our dreams that allows balancing loads in the electrical system and how that consumer fits perfectly to Texas with its high contribution of photovoltaic energy that represents a real challenge. But very little has been said about the possibility of balancing the nat gas network in a country that mistakenly purchased too much natural gas and has impaired storage quick, uh, capacity. Doing very quick math that surely can be improved with greater detail by experts, it is possible to determine how much of the generation capacity installed from fossil fuels could be used for mining, using data even from 2019. I repeat, using a surplus of electricity for Bitcoin mining is something that is already happening at scale and you can see it in Texas. For this, let us consider that 306,000 gigawatt hours per year are consumed in Mexico. Being conservative, it can be estimated that some 56,000 gigawatt hours can be produced by renewables, which leaves about 250,000 gigawatt hours to be covered by the fossils. Thus, having an installed capacity of about 51,500 megawatt, uh, megawatts in non-renewables, we would be able to produce about 451,000 gigawatt hours per year, approximately 80% more than the energy that we could generate with what's currently installed. Although reviewing, sorry, hold on. Although reviewing well, not all the installed capacity, 51,000 or 51,000 megawatts is capable of using natural gas. Only 45,000 megawatts are capable of using natural gas if we remove coal-based and diesel. And this brings us to the final number of this very basic calculation. Of the 395, thousand gigawatt hours per year that could be generated with natural gas in one year, only around 55% would be used to cover the corresponding consumption quota, which would be approximately 217,000 gigawatt hours. And on the other hand, the 3,000 MMPCD that CFE is not able to consume from their bad acquisition translates to about 141,000 gigawatt hours per year, which means that it is within the installed capacity to be able to use the gas. In other words, it would be possible to install sufficient mining power in our own generation plants nationwide and thereby use the natural gas that cannot be consumed by using the existing capacity. But let's see what consumer would be able to install consumption capacity in a decentralized way in hundreds of consumption centers really close to the generation plants quickly and efficiently and with the capacity to grow them gradually? Only Bitcoin mining. That's the only answer I have for you. Now, all this gas is enough to produce about 16,000 megawatts of power. And according to estimated data from the University of Cambridge, the Bitcoin network is currently taking only 13,000 megawatts. So we have more energy acquired daily in natural gas contracts in Mexico that's not used than the Bitcoin network actually consumes per day globally right now. 
But one thing I am sure of is that no one could deploy as quickly and reliably as this industry. And besides, I assure you that with good prices per kilowatt hour, surely the first 1000 megawatts could be installed in a few months and at a cost close to zero for the national industry. So let's stop thinking about how to put this gas on the LNG market, that's liquid natural gas, investing billions and billions of dollars into liquefaction plants that will be built in four to five years in the future, and let's start calling mining companies now. They would happily get to work on these 16 terawatts of available power that are crying to be put to good use. And let's see here. Uh, yeah, CFE, let's see, uh, you know, never mind. I was just going to see if he had any other credentials here on his LinkedIn page. And I'm going to have to go to his actual page page. Hold on for a sec. <clears throat> let's see what we got here. Uh, now, nah, it's just technical director at NatGas. So that's, that's about it. So he's got a point. However, where are you going to get the ASICs from? Uh, right, right. I mean, it's not like they're just cranking them out right now. Getting a hold of ASICs is actually a, a fairly difficult task. So I don't know. I mean, he's got a good point. Ricardo has a good point. Uh, Mexico has a shit ton of natural gas, and they clearly overbought you know, on their contract, so they got to do something with it. And Bitcoin mining makes a lot of sense, except for the whole point of the ASICs deal. Eh, whatever. Hey, let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities, although uh, the markets are well on their way, well, well opened. So we're not talking about futures. The price of West Texas Intermediate has jumped 1.81% to $78.14. Brent North Sea jumped 2.7% to $81.83. Natural gas doing its shit. 5.7% to the upside brings it to $5.06. Uh, gasoline jumped 1.8%. It is now back to $2.30 per gallon. Uh, gold down 1.13%. It is back below $1,800. I'm sorry, Peter Schiff, $1,785. Silver got smoked, bitches, 3.6% to the downside, $23.42. Platinum down 5%, y'all. Copper is up 0.73%, but palladium taking it on the chin at five and a half or four and a half percent to the downside. Ag is mixed, and the biggest winner today is coffee, 4.7% to the upside. Your biggest loser looks like it's going to be cocoa at 0.89% to the downside. Dow is up 0.01%. S&P is down point, or actually a quarter of a point. NASDAQ is down almost a full point, And the S&P mini is down almost a half point. Real money coming in at $57,363. Man, that's been a hell of a ride to the downside. Yeah, well, strap in, bitches. 282,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours is just under 12,000 transactions on average per hour with 786,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 32,700 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 2.78 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.013 BTC or about 730 bucks. Block times are high, 10 minutes, 26 seconds. 0 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 12 BTC being taken overall in the last 24 hours in fees. 
with a 1.84% upside tick in hash rate. We are at 157 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator is at 23 United States pennies. There are 14,536 transactions waiting on five blocks to clear. We have a $1.09 trillion market cap, which is 10 and a quarter percent of gold's entire market cap. And you can, if you so choose, purchase 32 ounces of shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,881,172.75 of, and 3,270.8 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $188.3 million, being run over 17,755 nodes and 80,040 payment channels that we can see. 74% of all that shit being run over the Tor side of the network. So there are 11,044 Tor Lightning nodes responsible for handling 2,419.7 BTC. That's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Bitcoin is the single best shot at achieving liberty in our lifetime. Bitcoin Magazine. Dr. Wolf von Lehr is writing this one. Never seen him before. Let's see what he has to offer. What do you see when you switch on the TV or scroll through your news feeds on your preferred social media platform? Fuck, you know what I see? <laughs> I see a lot of Pfizer commercials, but let's continue. You see a failed war ended after 20 years, hundreds of thousands of people dead, billions of dollars squandered, and the same illiberal regime in charge as before. You also see inequality, rising prices and protests. You see pushbacks for mandates. Bitcoiners regularly reply to all the troubles in the world by saying that Bitcoin fixes this hyperbole. No, Bitcoin is the only realistic pathway to the libertarian bon mot, our witty remark of fix the money, fix the world. Indeed, Bitcoin is the best shot libertarians have to shrink the size of government, fight inflation, curtail the debt from inflation, starve the military industrial complex, and to avoid an ever-increasing scope for government. So how does Bitcoin achieve this? Bitcoin is a savings technology that is nascent money. Money historically has three functions. It must serve as a store of value, a medium of exchange, and a unit of account. Bitcoin, despite its volatility, is certainly a store of value, but is thus far less prevalent as a medium of exchange or a unit of account. However, Bitcoin has only been around for 12 years, and its rate of adoption is already growing faster than the internets did. Money is the ultimate network good, which means that its value and usability increases with every user joining and every user has the incentive to encourage others to take up Bitcoin since it benefits them directly. As a result, within a short amount of time, Bitcoin has emerged from being a somewhat esoteric toy for cypherpunks to being adopted by financial institutions in the country of El Salvador, as well as becoming the savings technology for tens of millions of people around the world. Bitcoin's current user base is estimated to be around 120 million people, and this is absolutely remarkable. It does not matter why people use Bitcoin. It might be because it's cheaper and faster than traditional cross-border payments. It might be because it is collapsing upward and growing in value by around 200% annually. It might be because some people speculate on it, or it might be because it saves lives and allows people to escape from the worst environments possible. An example of this can be seen in some great articles written by Alex Gladstein, Chief Strategy Officer at Human Rights Foundation on Bitcoin usage in Afghanistan, Cuba, or Palestine. 
Bitcoin already empowers millions and not just the rich elites with existing access to banks, stock markets, and other financial technologies. Bitcoin empowers the billions of people who are unbanked and promises a future that takes control of money or of money away from the government. Bitcoin appeals to millions of people and every person joining the Bitcoin network will have the incentive to attract more users. Bitcoin presents hope for millions and presents a viable plan B to holding fiat money, which melts in your hands due to the irresponsibility of monetary central planners. And right now, the most important reason why the government can grow beyond its mandate, beyond its income through taxation, is through the power of the government to print and force everyone to use their ever value losing money. In just 24 months, the U.S. Federal Reserve printed 40% of all dollars in existence. Naturally, this is translated into huge levels of inequality since the people close to the government's trough, such as banks, benefit from the higher purchasing power compared to the people at the bottom of the food chain, like fixed income recipients, students, etc., etc., who only see prices rise with diminishing real purchasing power, and this is known as the Cantillon effect. The Federal Reserve Board is directly monetizing the debt that the government takes on, and the Fed provides infinite demand for government debt, which would not be able to grow at the astonishing pace it does without the power of the printing press to buy all of it up. <clears throat> the Bitcoin network itself, and the personal owning of Bitcoin is an act of peaceful rebellion against the fiat monetary system. Every day when someone buys Bitcoin, it moves money away from the fiat system and puts it into a store of value. It is put into a system that cannot be inflated. There will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin issued. Bitcoin has been tested. Bitcoin has been attacked and the protocol has remained robust against 12 years of adversaries trying to undermine it. Many of Bitcoin's detractors fundamentally don't understand Bitcoin's value proposition, and it makes sense that they don't. We have not seen a new type of money emerge in over 5,000 years. Moreover, Bitcoin's roots lies in more atypical fields such as Austrian economics, game theory, cryptography, and economic history. Thus, the frameworks through which most economists and pundits analyze Bitcoin are highly inadequate. Another new aspect is that Bitcoin gives its users absolute control over their money. They can decide when to send money, how much, and how much to pay for a transaction. Nobody needs to be asked if you can send money to a nonprofit organization 6,000 miles away, and nobody needs to confirm if you can send remittances to your family in other countries. No agency or bank can prevent this. Bitcoin allows you to become your own bank, and this is incredibly empowering and such technology has not ever existed before. Okay, that's a pretty good, pretty good uh, spiel there by the good Dr. Wolf von Lauer, but we have other fish to fry, namely Odell Beckham Jr., NFL star to take full salary in Bitcoin. This is written by Namzios for Bitcoin Magazine. National Football League wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr., will take his entire new salary in Bitcoin through a partnership with Cash App, the athlete announced on Twitter. Beckham recently left the Cleveland Browns for the Los Angeles Rams. Quote, it's a new ERA, and to kick that off, I'm hyped to announce that I'm taking my new salary in Bitcoin thanks to Cash App, Beckham tweeted. 
He added that he is also giving away a total of 1 million in BTC to fans who post their Cash App usernames in the announcements comment section. Oh, good Lord. The receiver is the latest NFL athlete to announce being paid in Bitcoin, a move that could make him up to $4.5 million in BTC in one year. Earlier this month, Green Bay Packers legend quarterback Aaron Rodgers shared that he would take a portion of his salary in BTC through a partnership with Cash App. Rodgers reportedly earns a salary of $33.5 million and his four-year contract with the Packers is worth $134 million. Rodgers' team was among those interested in signing Beckham after the Browns released him in early November, Forbes reported. Besides the Packers, the New Orleans Saints, the Kansas City Chiefs were also interested. The receiver will join Cooper Cup in the Rams, who is the NFL leader in receptions, yards, and touchdowns in a one-year contract per the report. Sports athletes and teams around the world are capitalizing on a likely increased awareness of Bitcoin and the strong appreciation of purchasing power it can provide. In addition to Beckham and Rogers, Sean Culkin and Shaquan, sorry, Shaquan Barkley followed Russell Okung's pioneering move last year. In September 2021, quarterback legend Tom Brady hinted at his interest in being paid with Bitcoin. Yeah, and then he immediately went into NFT shitsville, so I don't really care about Tom Brady. But we've got another one. I mean, Odell Beckham, uh, although you got to wonder, if he's so good, why was he released early? You always got to ask yourself those kinds of questions. I'm sure it was probably he just didn't get along with management or something like that, but it seems that he's good enough that a lot of teams wanted him to uh, come on board, and it looks like the L.A. Rams got him, although uh, I wouldn't live in L.A. for the life of me. But if I was getting paid like you know $100 million, I probably could take it on the chin, just like India's about to do. Hold on to your asses, people. Here we go. One more time, Kevin Reynolds is writing for Coindesk, Indian government to submit bill to ban most cryptocurrencies, dashing hopes for friendlier measures. <laughs> this is going to be the fucking eighth time India has done this or something around the, or something around that number. The Indian government is still seeking to ban most cryptocurrencies under a long-awaited cryptocurrencies bill that will be submitted for consideration during Parliament's winter season. While the measure appears to be essentially the same as the draft bill submitted in January, expectations had grown in recent months that the government had softened its view on crypto and would perhaps seek to have it regulated as a commodity. The bill, which would create a framework for a central bank digital currency by the Reserve Bank of India, seeks to ban all private cryptocurrencies except for certain exceptions to promote the underlying technology of cryptocurrencies and its uses. I was telling you, I think it was either the last show or the show before that, you know, keep your eyes on India because now we're just going to have to deal with India FUD. I, you know, once I'm surprised that a country of 1.6 or 1.8 billion people cannot get their ever loving shit together, or maybe it's 1.3 billion. But dude, I mean, if you're over 500 million people, you should have your shit together. And no governments in the world have their shit together. And it's just sad as fuck, man. And another country that's in the hole, Turkey, it makes the case for Bitcoin as Erdogan runs the autocrats inflation playbook. This is out of Coindesk and written by David Z. Morris. Bitcoin trading volumes are rising in Turkey as the increasingly authoritarian government there goes diligently about the work of setting its currency, the lira, on fire. 
Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who has retained power since 2003, has to all appearances lost his mind. With inflation sitting at around 20%, Erdogan yesterday lowered Turkey's key interest rate to 18% from 19%, no, not a typo, instead of raising them to tighten the money supply. Currency markets have responded decisively to the expected move with the Lyra losing 10% of its value against the US dollar since Monday. Some Turkish citizens decided to take their business elsewhere. BTC Turk, one of a handful of local exchanges offering Lira to BTC trades, has seen a noticeable uptick in volume according to public data. That interest comes despite the recent collapse of two other Turkish exchanges, one in an apparent exit scam. Woohoo! <laughs> Erdogan's government banned crypto for payments in April, but owning crypto is legal in Turkey, well, at least for now. Sadly, the logic of the current situation may push Erdogan to tighten further as any open Lira BTC trade could put further downward pressure on the Lira by enabling capital flight. Erdogan has reportedly claimed that lowering interest rates, which makes money cheaper and more plentiful, will somehow curb inflation. But his reasoning is opaque. He recently referred to interest as the devil, perhaps an oblique appeal to Islamic morality in the face of economic reality. Quote, it's just crazy. There's zero justification for this move, and there's been zero justification for the rate cuts we've seen so far this year, an asset manager told Wall Street Journal. Erdogan is running monetary policy on his own, end quote. It's not hard to infer Erdogan's actual motive for more or less letting the money printer go burr. Keeping rates lower is one of only a handful of tools he has for shoring up Turkey's economy. Turkey has seen short-term hits to its economy thanks to regional instability and the beer virus 19, which has devastated tourism. Yes, because you're all fucking terrified of your own shadows. The longer-term picture is even more shocking. Since 2013, Turkey's GDP has plummeted from more than 950 billion U.S. dollars to $720 billion, partly thanks to instability after a failed coup against Erdogan in 2016. Yeah, I remember that. Erdogan's attempts to ramp things back up have been deeply unorthodox for years, particularly relying on unsustainable levels of debt throughout the, the economy. And Erdogan no longer has an independent economic council to push back after firing a series of central bank governors who would not get in line. That makes the current wave of instability all the more dangerous for Lira holders. Erdogan's Turkey is fast becoming a case study of Bitcoin's potential benefits for residents of countries with fragile currencies or authoritarian leaders likely to pursue short-term political gain through inflationary policies. Luckily, Turkey is closely tied to Europe and Turks currently have at least some access to dollars and euros to protect their wealth. In many other similarly troubled regions, that luxury is hard to come by, leaving Bitcoin as the only option. Yeah, going back to that, if you don't remember the, and I've got quotes up here, my fingers in air quotes, the coup against Erdogan in 2016, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think he orchestrated that coup himself. He was never in any danger. He was all of a sudden in a hotel room somewhere else when the coup, the quote unquote coup happened. I called bullshit. I called bullshit the day it happened in 2016. I'm calling bullshit on it now. It was to somehow or another maneuver him into a position where he could do this. And this is what I don't understand. The, the this, 
the destruction of his money. I don't get it. At one point or another, you have to live amongst these people. All it takes is for your security crew to say, I quit. I don't know, man, whatever. Uh, let's see here. Uh, okay, Australian regulator chases 21 million in Bitcoin stored in alleged fraudster's cold wallet. Good luck. Andrew Asmakov has it for decrypt.co. The Australian Securities and Investments Commission, ASIC, is trying to gain access to up to 29 million uh, Australian dollars, approximately 21 million USD worth of Bitcoin stored on a cold wallet belonging to a Gold Coast resident suspected of being the mastermind behind a large-scale fraud scheme. Australian crypto exchange CoinSpot's oversight controls have also been called into question in the fraud investigation, according to a report by the Sydney Morning Herald. Earlier this month, ASIC accused Aaron Halla and his partner Heidi Walters of representing two investors that they would help them invest their superannuation in a self-managed superannuation fund, SMSF, and then loan the money to A1 Multi, a now-closed company run by the couple. ASIC alleges that Hala or Hala lured several dozen investors with promises of annual investment returns of over 20%. Oh God, that should, that should have been exactly when you turned around and walked away. While using the victim's money for personal benefit, <laughs> no, you think? Hala and Walters reportedly purchased a Tesla and a Ferrari, luxury goods, and even made a generous donation to their church. Oh, good Christians, are we? The details released by ASIC indicates that more than 60 consumers deposited roughly 25 million Australian dollars into accounts of A1 Multi between January 1st, 2019 and June 30th, 2021. The alleged fraudsters also turned their sights to Bitcoin, reportedly purchasing cryptocurrency through CoinSpot. CoinSpot initially informed ASIC investigators that no records were held for accounts in the name of Mr. Hala, Miss Walters, or their company. However, an account associated with Hala was eventually identified. A deeper investigation into Hala's transaction history showed that his CoinSpot account had a balance of just $1.96 Australian. However, it received 375.99 Bitcoin worth roughly 21 million at current prices while executing sell orders to a total of 979,000 Australian dollars, indicating 28.47 million Australian dollars worth of Bitcoin were located somewhere else. Investigators believe that Hala transferred the remainder of the coins to a cold wallet, a specialized USB-like device which stores private keys offline, which they are now trying to get access to in order to recover the coins. ASIC has also secured a travel ban for both Hala and Walters and froze their accounts. The suspected fraudsters, however, denied the accusations and reportedly hired lawyers indicating they may challenge ASIC's allegations. The fact that CoinSpot initially claimed Hala or Hala was not an account holder with the exchange also raised questions about the trading platform's adherence to money, anti-money laundering and combating terrorism finance policies. CoinSpot defended its controls with the exchange's spokesperson telling the Sydney Morning Herald that any lawful requests for information by regulators are treated seriously and with priority. CoinSpot has a cooperative relationship with all relative or relevant regulatory bodies, including ASIC, 
any lawful requests for information by regulators are treated seriously. Sources familiar with the investigation said that ASIC and the consulting firm KPMG, which was tapped to help with the investigation, hope that they'll be able to recoup some of the money allegedly stolen from the investors. It is expected that Hala will provide details on how to access his cold wallet to KPMG in the coming weeks. So that's the only way you'd be able to get it is under duress. Um, I don't know though. Y'all be careful. A AML, KYC, CFT shit is just, it it's all bullshit and it's there to keep you a slave. However, if this guy and his partner or whatever really did rip off a whole bunch of people, fuck him. I hope he burns in hell, but that's his personal, that's his personal argument with God or whatever, you know, higher power or authority he, you know, believes in or trusts or whatever. So anyway, uh, always, always, always never don't use exchanges. If you have used exchanges, get your shit off there. I don't know if you got a coin join it or what, but make sure that you're in a position that you cannot give over your private keys on at least some of your Bitcoin holdings so that if you do get out, you can recover that shit. You know, I don't know. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. All right, let's have a joke. As I looked at my naked body in the mirror, I realized that I was going to get kicked out of the Ikea. Yeah, don't do that. <clears throat> don't go around naked in, in stores. That's always a bad move. All right, what have we learned today, boys and girls? <clears throat> don't use exchanges. Hide your private keys. Make them inaccessible. And don't move away from your families if at all possible. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Especially coming into what we're coming into. I am at all I am not at all sure what the future holds. I used to think I did, but it's just like the clown world has just gotten so bad that I have absolutely no idea how this shit's gonna run. And I'm not certain that you're gonna want to be away from your family. If you're young and you can figure out a way to ride out the potential storm that's coming over the next couple of years and just be patient and have a low time preference, find a job around your family. Don't move. It may be the worst decision you make. It could be the best decision you make, but it's one of those things where I highly recommend doing some very serious calculus on what you're gonna gain if you leave your support network versus what you're gonna lose. If what you're going to lose is a lot more than what you're going to gain, <clears throat> my recommendation is to stay put and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.